welcome pudding people to another episode of everybody loves pudding i'm your host ken seymour with your other host richard geiger other host and sometimes host and beast with the least yes we're just going to tack on more stuff every time so that at least half the episode will be the description of the hosts i think everybody really wants to see that very much so you know what everybody might want to actually hear though we have an episode this week that talks about music we're getting back to music music uh, specifically, we're talking about uh, the music in 1999, right? Uh, that is correct. The year 1999. Seems like such a long time ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. It was Holy a cow. long time ago. Uh, yeah. So we have done previously some episodes that pertained to the early 90s. We've done some episode. We've done an episode that pertained to the 2000s. And... The episode that we did for the 2000s, I may have even mentioned it a bit in that episode, is what kind of made me want to do an episode for the year 1999. Uh, Why, you ask? Well, it seemed like when I came across a lot of my favorites that... So play, uh, let me like let's backtrack here. A lot of airtime when it comes to albums is weird. So bands will release an album and they might have a hit that's on that that gets played when it gets released. But then it takes a while for some of the other ones to get airtime. And what I found was a lot of songs that got a lot of airtime in the year 2000. I'm like, oh, well, that's great. Oh, that's great. Well, they were all from albums from 1999 so we couldn't put them on our list so that's what made me think well there's just there's got to be lots of great albums lots of great music from this time frame now there actually are 140 150 albums that were released in 1999 alone and that's just counting kind of united states and some uk stuff exactly so what we you know one of our favorite genres of music and we talked about this with our 2000s episode, was the, the grunge era. And as it progressed, a lot of our favorite bands kind of dissolved. People died, people broke up. It, it just, it kind of came, I guess, pretty quickly. It came and it went pretty quickly because the late 90s rolled around. A lot of those bands were gone. 2000s came and it ushered in a new kind of era of music a new genre of music so there was this transition time period the 98 and 99 time frame were a real big transition time frame so we're going to focus on 1999 i like to call it the post grunge confusion um sounds good yeah it's just kind of something that that i thought sounded snazzy and uh i can make it mine it's all mine very good that'll be the title of this podcast (laughs) but you know a lot of people think of the end of the grunge era really being the mid 90s when uh when cobain died like 94 uh right about that time because it really started in the what in the 80s late late yeah. 80s um an, an album that i've recently discovered by soundgarden was released in 88 i do believe 88 or 89 i can't remember yeah it may may have only really picked up in the early 90s as being popular but it it was present in a variety of forms and proto forms well before that even metallica thought that it would be cool to do a grunge sounding album they were wrong (laughs) correct (laughs) correct i admire their attempt to expand and try new things uh and it's a it's just, it made me sad. But and, even that was a mid-90s thing. Yeah. And, well, I mean, it's not that it was a bad CD. I mean, I actually like several of the tracks off of that uh, Load album. But it just, it was not just that it was a departure from the sound that they had had. But, you know, a lot of their production style was very similar. Not just the type of music, but the production style from Kill 'Em All all the way through uh, and Justice had had a very similar way of making the album. They changed that fairly radically with the Black album, but it worked. I mean, yeah, it was slicker, it was less raw, but it actually it had a sound that just blew me away. There's a lot of studio time too because yeah. their their producer asked a lot for them, oh, asked yeah. a lot of perfection from yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, but with Load, it was 
all of the gloss and the content was just not just was not there and they did reload shortly thereafter they were originally going to do if i'm not mistaken load as a double album yeah. and they just pushed it into a into two albums and yeah yeah anyway so they <laughs> but then we get to the late 90s and what did they do in the late 90s well they did the garage inc album right so garage days revisited re-revisited and new stuff yeah. all piled into a double CD. That was 98. Yeah. But what was in 1999 that Metallica did? S&M. So a very, very unique take. I really liked the S&M quite and, a lot. I mean, some of the stuff didn't work, but the ones that did sounded so good. Yes. So they even they had this transition time frame in there where... We saw them change, and then they tried to do some things that were different, and then they went back to the old stuff, and then they did something new, and then they had some change, and then they had... It took them a little while to kind of right the ship, I would yeah. say. Let's yeah. say. I, I think they've, they've, for the most part, done a good job of coming back. Even if I didn't like albums like St. Anger... I admired the intent, and I admired where they were going with it, even if I didn't like the end product, which is kind of the exact opposite of what they did with Load, where I did not like where they were going, but I liked the end product better than I liked with St. Anger. <sighs> Why you decided to do a Tom and not a snare for that whole stinking album? It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but there are, there are other ones, you know, like Death Magnetic. That's pretty good. Yeah, that one's a solid album. Um, so... One thing that we should probably kind of discuss, I mean, you talked a little bit about the the death of grunge, but music as a whole during this time period was in an in, in interesting state of flux, not just with uh, heavy metal, not just with uh, grunge, not R&B and hip hop was going through an unprecedented explosion. Mm -hmm. uh, the... Napster app came out in 1999. That's what I was going to say. How people consumed their music was evolving at this point, too. Uh, the record companies had to had some big shakeups. A&M shut down and was absorbed by Universal. Uh, so, I mean, there's there was a lot of... There's a lot of little notes, and just as a small side note, as a funny thing that has nothing to do with anything, but just one of the things that I had forgotten about and then just kind of tripped across saw that uh, in 1999 corn played the apollo theater the first rock band to ever play the apollo theater wow yeah played their entire album and it was i had forgotten about that completely just kind of an interesting thing to think about well that was gosh was that the time frame that they were oh was that a family values tour thing Mm, I'm not sure that it was. I think this was something different. I think it was their new album came out and it was a promotional thing that they would perform that album at the Apollo, at the Apollo. in its entirety, which would have been interesting to, to kind of see. I would love to see it. Yeah. Now, not all of this time frame's music, I was, I was going to say, not all this time frame's music was awesome. That's obviously a matter of uh, opinion and taste. But there were a great deal of very popular artists and bands during this period that I was just not a fan of. Now, I can't speak to certain genres because at that time, I was not a fan of opera or country. And while I was a fan of jazz, I had lost touch with a lot of it. Now, were you a fan of NSYNC? Well, we'll get there. We, we will get there. Um, but this is the thing that I was kind of bringing up. The pop music scene was really, it, it had a lot of the boy bands, the, the tail end of the boy band uh, craze was yep. going on at this point. So you had NSYNC, you had Backstreet Boys, you had 98 Degrees. 1999 is when they released their Christmas album. Ooh. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it, a lot of... Uh, a lot of stuff that not a lot of people liked at the time. Now, I will contend. Okay, so I'm just going to address it now. I liked sort of in sync at the time. They were kind of like um, 
fruitcake to me is, is the best description that I can give. Fruitcake as a concept, if you're talking about the prepackaged fruitcake, is a nightmare. It's just you can't consider it food in most respects. And a lot of times it sounds like a terrible idea. But I have had prepackaged fruitcake that I thought, this is awful. And I had some more. It's like, well, this isn't that bad. No, I actually kind of like this. <laughs> and that to me is in sync. I did not like them at first. But mainly due to Justin Timberlake, they won me over. Well, you, you can throw that relation into, I know this is not necessarily this time frame, but like the, the Backstreet Boys were... Mm-hmm. You know, more what mid nineties, early nineties. I'd say that's about right. And now, this worldwide tour, and everybody that's our age goes to see them. Now, the young kids don't really go to see them because no one knows who they are. But they're more tolerable now. Let's call it that. Where before, you know, people who are into bands like Metallica and Corn and Rage Against the Machine wouldn't be seen listening to that but they've become more not more mainstream like i say more tolerable more palatable to people it's like when you listen to music in the 80s and the 80s was 80s music and mm-hmm. you're just like turn off the radio because this is annoying but now when you put on 80s music you know every song and they're like it's see i was never like that when i listened to 80s music in the 80s i liked it it had pretty much anything i mean i i was a big fan of a lot of the major pop Groups. I mean, Genesis, yeah, Duran Duran, absolutely. Tears for Fears, I would listen to them at the time. Uh, Moody Blues, absolutely. Uh, one of my first favorite songs was by the Moody Blues. Mm. So, I mean, that didn't bother me. I had a rich history uh, of music that I was brought up on from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, so I was listening to that along with the, with what was in the 80s, and I saw the progression, and I liked where it was going. Because when you looked at it from the 50s, just thinking of rock and roll specifically, as they build on things, it's very rudimentary. I mean, it's got its, it's, got its grassroots and gospel and... Uh, and blues and and that sort of thing, and then they're just kind of getting the getting the formula down. Okay, what is the way this uh, this t- type of music is put together? Once they get that, then they start building on it. Where are we going to put some extra harmonies? How are we going to play with the timing a little bit? What kind of other instrumentation can we use? And how are we going to convey our message? So you start at the experimentation of the '60s and into the '70s, and that kind of that that Woodstock era of of music where they kind of really build onto it and then it branches i mean it just kind of goes in so many different directions but drugs well yeah there's that too but a lot of them double back into the mainstream into the rock and pop side so when you're hearing something like a huey lewis in the 1980s you're still hearing bits of that other music folded into it so i i liked that i saw where it was going and when you saw the other bands that were still going off in different directions like metallica they were taking it singularly in this direction or uh black sabbath or or whatever and when they were going it still works so i had two avenues that i could uh, i could listen to and get something cool and then that's why grunge was so interesting okay here's another reinterpretation of of rock but we're going to mix in with some punk and we're going to move in some other uh sensibilities uh maybe from some long forgotten uh, uh folk or uh from from jazz or whatever and splice that in and we're not going to be all flashy we're going to be generic problem is once that period ended where do you go What's the next step? I mean, sure, you got new metal, you've got the other heavy metal, you've you've got some other things, and they started to look like they were going to go in that direction. But the problem is, grunge was so mainstream by the end of it that people were seeing how cool the rock and roll could be. And when it's reinterpreted, they wanted to see something similar to that 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 could take it that next step, that next big thing. It never came. Never came. We we talked briefly a while ago in my last few months worth of trying to listen to stuff, maybe on the way to work and back or maybe just to listen to music. I'm like, I want to listen to something different because I tend to listen to the same stuff over and over and over again. And if it's good, who cares? 
But after, you know, 20 years of listening to the same thing, uh, you know, I'm just like, I was hungering for something different. And, you know, we, we were thinking like there, when it came to metal bands, for example, there was an evolution and there was different types and there was different things. Um, I found myself listening to Slayer for some odd reason, you know, mm-hmm. um, but in listening to some of the more popular and you're right, new metal bands and listening to these bands, I'm just like, none of this stuff to me is, is good. I was listening. I was wanting something that was an evolution of grunge and you're right. That never came. Like there was no new grunge thing or band or music that came out. Um, in terms of metal, I even saw it in um, 1999. Uh, Slipknot, I do believe, had one of their... That was their debut album in that year. And that's a very popular band Mm -hmm. that I can't seem to get into. But that was an evolution of the rock and metal product, right? So they, they were a good example of... I guess you would you call I guess you'd call that one new metal too because yeah. of of kind of of the metal and the heavy and the guitar and like this fast the real fast intricate guitar and the drums and then like the singing where the people act like they can actually sure. sing but then they then they scream and then they sing and then it's just like pick a thing you know well that is kind of an illustration of where i think things went wrong i think it became overly specialized in order to be considered hip and cool you had to have your own version of whatever because there's new metal there's death metal there's gloss metal there's name about 30 other different variants of heavy metal and then do the same thing with punk and with rock and roll and because it is overly specific and so compartmentalized it's not something that can be consumed on a wider spectrum for people it's it's kind of like the same problem a lot of people we talk about comic books and comic book movies all the time Well, sometimes new readers have a hard time getting into comic books because there's already been so much history and so many things that have happened. They feel like they'd have to read so much just to be at a point where they could really enjoy it, which is why the big companies often do events that just completely reset everything and then really annoy me in the process. (laughs) I mean, if those characters have been around for 60 years, it's you're right. They have so much background and history and diversity and all this type of stuff and someone who's 15 wants to learn about it it's how do you get all of that history because what people consume nowadays is an instant can can instant need of consuming something like they don't want to wait they want it now so how are you going to get 50 years worth of knowledge now right so we're basically going to ignore a lot of the stuff we're going to focus at least for me i'm going to focus on on the areas that i really really got uh, a lot of listening to so rock and roll and rock and roll variants r&b r&b variants and uh that's pretty much it (laughs) yeah anything else i mean it's not that there wasn't great uh country and country folk and things like well bella fleck had uh, an an album in 99 and it's great i didn't find out about a lot of bella fleck's stuff until much later and wasn't able to really enjoy it so uh, we'll, we'll deal with that at another point. Yeah, and and the over overly poppy stuff in re, like reviewing somebody's like, oh yeah, I remember. Oh yeah, I remember. Oh yeah, I didn't like it, but I remember a lot of these albums that yeah. were released. But I just, I, I would never have purchased them or collected them, and only listened to them because they were plastered all over a radio or well, MTV. You turn a on a radio, times. Mariah Carey was on like a million times, or uh, Puff Daddy. Uh, didn't did Maze? Uh, I know DMX had an album yeah. in in this uh, time frame. Naughty and, by Nature had an album in '99. Yeah, it's just there was a lot of Britney Spears' debut album came out in '99. Uh, yes, her she was the number one single, right? If I'm not mistaken, for that year. R. Kelly had something. Mark Anthony. Ugh. Um, Brandy, Whitney Houston, 98 Degrees, Jewel, Backstreet Boys, Jennifer Lopez, Ricky Martin was mm. annoying me greatly in 99 because La Vida Loca is 
one of the worst songs I have ever heard. Now, again, I will reiterate, it's taste. I'm not actually saying that the song is terrible, but to me, the song is terrible. And that dude must have had a crazy life. Lord. Uh, Cher had a huge uh, musical presence in 99. Limp Biscuits' second album came out in 99. Yes, it did. And um, I like that. Album. If you wanted a little Monica in your life, you could have that in 1999. Lou. Lou Bega. Good Lord. Okay. So, so, I mean, you get an idea. There was a lot of really annoying pop, songs. Poppy, like, campy, yeah. air just awfulness. Um, but there were also a lot of great stuff. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things that you loved about the, some of the stuff released in 99? Okay. So you you kind of came to so i have a couple albums that i, I had written out so one 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 i'll throw out there and, and here's i'll go back to something that we talked about before which was how we consume music so um stained had an album that came out dysfunction, dysfunction. Yeah. um maybe maybe a couple songs overplayed maybe over oh, yeah. mtv for sure definitely but that album was actually really 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 good it was fantastic um, now I have that album, but going back to how I consumed it was my neighbor downstairs actually owned the album and I had a CD burner and I burned I this was the time frame where that was like that's what you did. Mm-hmm. Someone had a CD, you could go buy a stack of CDs and if you had a decent computer you could just burn the CD and now you had a copy of that CD. So yeah. I didn't do that a lot, but uh, a couple that I did have. This was the time frame when I did it. Oh yeah, uh, Kid Rock. His album came out in '98, but it was played in heavily in '99. Yeah, I was uh, going to be happy to ignore Kid Rock. Well, we can't because it's played but not released. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll just mention it. But going back to, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys, most of you, if you're our age, someone around you had a stack of blank cds and they probably still do and if you look through the collection there's a bunch of cds with a sharpie written on it that says what the, what the album is so that was a very common thing to do with that possibly time. also with software <laughs> exactly so cd cd writers and, and like cdrw cdrw plus cd i don't know there's like all these different variations that i never quite fully understood but i knew the ones to get to uh rewritable rewritable right uh yes like there was you could write once or cdrs was once cdr w's you could copy over and then i always got the ones that had the larger storage size on Mm -hmm. them just in case there were needs uh for having larger collections on that one cd so that was about the same time i had a uh a jazz drive also Mm. Uh, do you remember the zip drive well, um, yes, because you could. That's how you put you put things into a zip drive and you sent them. Not exactly well, what I'm so thinking you, of. You would you would zip files, so that's uh, that's condensing um, uh, file size, size down. Yes. Now what I'm talking about is you know everybody that was from our well at least my time frame remembers the floppy disks, and I'm not talking about the giant black ones. I remember those too. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the ones that were 1.44 megabytes in size and about the size of a fairly large cracker that you'd be able to With stick three, in three and a half. Yeah. So. The next step was the zip drive. The disks were a little thicker, a little beefier, and a little wider. They could hold 100 megabytes, which was huge compared to 1.44. Mm-hmm. So you could you could hold a lot on it. But, you know, I was a consumer of much data in a variety of ways, even at that time. It's like, well, that's, that's not enough. Well, the company that made zip drives also made jazz drives. Jazz drives were, it felt like they were the size of a VCR tape. Not oh, quite that okay. Big. They were big, but they held a gigabyte Wow! at the same time. It's like, oh, gigabyte, I'll never need this much space. <laughs> That's a thousand and twenty-four megabytes. That's right. So wow. that was that was the way to back up all of my stuff and uh, have the non-compressed version of the music saved somewhere and yeah, because because most of the CDs that you bought were like what seventy seven hundred megabytes seven hundred megabytes. Okay, mm-hmm. I knew there was a seven in there somewhere. So, yeah, takes us back right there. Just a little, a little bit nostalgia. Just so that bit. that's that's one of the things I wrote. I had a list on. Um, well, there were some pop 
bands I did like during, and I, and I may be, you know, hung for me putting some of these in the pop variant, but I, I do consider them to be more pop than anything else, like Goo Goo Dolls. I like Goo Goo Dolls. They're kind of poppy. Um, yes. Whether you would really consider them that or not. They had some stuff out. Fastball had stuff out in 99, which was, uh, I'm spacing what it was, uh, but it, it doesn't matter. It wasn't enough for me to really write down anything specific. Uh, uh, but you had uh, Third Eye Blind had some mm-hmm. stuff out. Oh, great. Yeah. Lenny Kravitz, who was just fantastic. He did, but that was in 98. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. That's why I didn't write down the CD because it didn't get released in there. But Destiny's Child did have something released in 99. And as pop goes, I mean, you might consider them R&B. I don't consider really Destiny's Child. Beyonce, sure. Yes, R&B. Destiny's Child is pop. Way, pop. Way pop. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I listened to that. And it was a little fun. But the one album that I would consider rock pop that I listened to and was really impressed by Santana released Supernatural in 99. That's true, with Rob Thomas on it. Among others. Yeah. I mean, the Rob Thomas song is the one that got the play, but it wasn't the only track on there. He had uh, Dave Matthews on a track. He had um, a jazz keyboardist. I'm spacing the name of. You're not winning me over here when you say uh, Dave Matthews. (laughs) I know, I know. But, I mean, name every, every track on it. Featured somebody. Somebody, because they all love Santana. Right. Recognized the greatness. It's, all, it's also possible now, I will I will preface this, uh, I could be mentally switching Supernatural with another CD, because I listen to a lot of Santana. There's one that he did with everybody, and there's one that he just had one track where he did with somebody else, and I could be swapping those. So let us look this up and see if I am correct in my memory or if I am finally sort of succumbing to uh, old man syndrome, right? So I'll throw out some pop while you're looking at that. Um, I should go a little, into a little backstory. So there's this band out there, and uh, it's called Sugar Ray. They had an album in 1999 that was just a straight sellout pop thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 14.59, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> that one I know very well. So, um, in 1997, they released Floored. And if you haven't heard that album... Floored that, is great. That's the one that had Fly on it. Mm-hmm. And that's what everybody knows that song from. But every other album, every other song on that album... Like, this isn't Sugar Ray. Like, it's complete, just like real real heavy, Mm -hmm. hard rock. It's really good. And then Fly got popular, and then it was all downhill. Because they completely, like, when you talk about, in my opinion, a a sellout band, they sold out for the cash for sure. Because they made songs that were just uber poppy popular, and they made a lot of money. Mark McGrath got really popular. I can't blame them for it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved the sound on Floored, but. You know, what do you get? We have a couple hundred people that like us exactly. and buy us, or millions. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, well, oh, yeah, I mean, exactly. Where do I, I sign? No, I'm not faulting them. I'm just, like, they were the quintessential sellouts at that point in time. But I was correct. Supernatural is the one with all the people on it. So Everlast, uh, Lauren Hill, CeeLo Green, Eagle Eye Cherry, Manya, Eric Clapton, Dave Matthews. Uh, product G and B, so had a bunch of people work with them on tracks on that. I think Eric Clapton released an album in 1999, a blues album, did. if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So yeah, I mean that was a really good one. Uh, TLC did some stuff. Smash Mouth had Astrolange out in uh, 99. That's that's correct. <laughs> did you forget about that a, one? A much panned album that for some reason has re- renewed popularity. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not sure about that one, but uh, Christina Aguilera had her debut album in 1999, Genie in a Bottle. Wow. See see what I say like. Well, the reason that I wanted to talk about 1999 is because there was like there was a lot going on. Like yeah. there was a, this was a real big year for for music in general. Whether you recognize or don't recognize or hate or love these artists, like there was a lot going on. Right. If, if if you talk about the grunge era and you talk about the hip hop, like like this is a transition that has a lot of stuff going on in it. A lot of stuff. A big 
Yeah. MTV era, era, like a big radio era. Radio is, I won't say it's dead yet, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a fading and dying industry. But then, changing. back then, it was still, it drove dollars, yes, basically. Yeah. So there were two other kind of pop rock bands that I absolutely love that released CDs. One that I thought was very good and was a taste of what was to come. And one that was uh, next in a line of just fantastic albums and cemented this other band as one Super of my favorites. No. Um, so the, the taste, uh, John Mayer released his debut album in 99 as an EP. But still counts. Uh, that's the one that had um, neon in it. Neon, neon. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it. I, I'll sound like a dead I wanted you to keep cat. going. I was going to just be like, I don't know what you're singing. Yeah, I know. Keep going. Yeah, no, it wasn't going to work. Uh, uh, but that song is, you know, that was the one that kind of launched him. And it was just, oh, this guy is good. This guy is really good. And so that was kind of a nice thing to, to, to discover in that year that I really enjoyed. But also, um, By Your Side by the Black Crows came I out. Saw that, in that, list. that album is fantastic. It is my second favorite Black Crows album, uh, right behind Amorica. Uh, and it's good. God, so good. So they generally have pretty good production values, and the way they put things together is great. But with this particular album, not only did it have an even more polished kind of production, some of them were kind of live recorded, mm. which on top of that was awesome, but not like live in front of a stadium. It was more like live in front of about 20 people. And, but, you know, the... So instead of, you could tell they weren't recording it in pieces. And they got songs like Horsehead, just, just a, a rocking song from a band that you would never think of as that rocking band. Um, they, they've got, uh, what was the, uh, Tell Congregation, where they have a full choir behind them. Ooh. And it's just, it's Fun. so good. It is so good. Well, one of the... One of the other albums that, so I, I have a few that we haven't quite touched on here, but uh, I, I know our love of Soundgarden oh, yeah. has been much preached about, and they kind of broke up in 97, I want to say, is when they, uh, I that think. That sounds right. They actually cut ties, but Chris Cornell had his solo album absolutely release in the 19 in 1999 so euphoria morning we we saw you know nirvana was was gone soundgarden was gone uh but foo fighters was there yeah um they had an album in 1999 yeah their third album came out in 99 it had uh, learned to fly on it yes so we still saw elements right Mm -hmm. because of nirvana nirvana wasn't there you know um alice in chains um sort of sort of but they even they were kind of fading away uh, the one that we did see in 1999 that was still a traditional, let's call them grunge era favorite, was Stone Temple Pilots. Number four came and out. And their number four album, mm-hmm. um, which was, I thought that one was a fantastic album. Yeah. Um, their number four aptly enabled, uh, labeled because it you know was their fourth album. Um, maybe their third best album? It's it's hard for me to rank Stone Temple Pilots. They're all really good. I remember on that one when you could actually, when it was exciting to still go buy CDs and it meant something, uh, they would release them at midnight on certain days. And we had a record store like two blocks up the road and I would go there at midnight. And I this was one of a few that I purchased and went home and listened to. And the opening tracks on that one just like get you really pumped up. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I remember about that particular album. The is first that, song specifically. first song is that it's Good just God. real heavy. Um, what you did, what your mind tricks you into thinking Stone Temple Pilots is, is a mm-hmm. heavy grunge band when we know that they're top secretly. Shh, they're not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of all over the place. Yeah, but that album's really, really good. Um, yeah. 
I was going to bring that one up myself just because that first track is their strongest start to any of their albums. That, I'll buy into that. Yep. And it, that it just amazed me. In fact, it was so good, that first track, the first time I listened to number four, I thought I hated the CD, loved the first song, and then hated the rest of the CD because the first song was so good. And it, then, it set the bar pretty high for yeah. whatever else was going to be on there. Yeah, and then I had to listen to it, and it's like, no, actually, the whole album is pretty awesome. But that first song is just fantastic. Um, but Euphoria Morning, I think, for Chris Cornell, is important in a way uh, that a lot of people don't understand. Um, so, yeah, he had um, Can't Change Me was the track that got just played to death a lot. off of that and it was a good song but if you really wanted to understand him as a writer and as a person that is not the song off of that that you really want to listen to it's when i'm down he does a blues song that is phenomenal and it's kind of a window into the way he thinks i feel i could be wrong about this i'm sure there are hardcore fans of of Chris Cornell that would just completely disagree with me but that description of depression and the way that it intersects with the people around you seems pretty on point for the way that he he lived his life in some respects and much like we think of Stone Temple Pilots as a heavy grunge and we know that they're not Soundgarden we always thought as I always thought them as like a prototypical heavy grunge band as well but they still had their songs that were more rocky and more you know streamlined and more clean but I think if you went into listening to this Chris Cornell album and you felt it was going to be a another grungy type thing, mm-hmm. like you are not going to get that at all. Like this no. is a truly departure that, you know, maybe should have been expected, but I feel like people probably didn't expect mm-hmm. if they went into it with the typical grunge mindset yeah and i've already talked about this so i'm not going to cover it much but this was the time that i got to see chris cornell perform and it was uh, that's the only time i've been front and center and it was this music that he was performing and it's it had an impact <laughs> Um, but you know the other things that we liked, we got to see the the gradual downslide of certain bands, mm-hmm. like uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers had Californication come yes. out in this in 1999. So th- this this album is arguably their most overplayed album. Oh yeah, easily. Um, and if you got tired of listening to it and didn't listen to it for 10 years and then went back to it and listened to it again, you're like, this is actually a really good album. That's a solid, it's a definitely a solid album. They got great radio hits. They've got some good writing. But when you hold it next to Blood Sugar Sex Magic, well, it pales in comparison. None of their albums stand up to that. No. Be- because that is the ultimate funk rock pop like that's just uh, as close to perfection as you can get it's just an amazing album now before that what i do believe was mother's milk and that was a little broken up and raw but still good yeah after that was one hot minute which i really like a lot that's, of people hate that album uh, i really like that album uh, i i uh, i can listen to that thing front and back for sure californication i think personally is really 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 good I kind of hate MTV. I don't listen to the radio. So as much as I, as it could have been pumped in my face, I had it fairly limited because I didn't, I didn't have all that input from it. You didn't consume those sources. Correct. So when you put those, those three albums together, it's just, those are a collection of albums that, you know, are just like the Soundgarden triplets, right? Mm -hmm. The, the Metallica collection of like four out, like they're just amazing albums. 
And then after this, it just kind of uh, fell off a cliff. It was all downhill. Now, you guys can argue against this all you want to, but the other albums that were after this are okay. It's like Stadium Arcadium is just not good. And if you think it's good, congratulations to you. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> like we're saying, it's all a matter of it's, taste. It's all a matter of taste. But like there, there are... Plenty. They've released multiple albums after this one, but the this one and the ones before it are the ones that they're going to be, in my opinion, what I base my Red Hot Chili Peppers on are these albums, yeah. this one and before. Like Buck Cherry had their first album came out in '99, which was really solid. Did she, was Chevelle in there too? Chevelle was in there. Um, yep. So and that was that was pretty solid. But I tell you what, we're talking about brilliance and. And somebody that released a brilliant album and kept releasing brilliant albums. Uh, first one came out in '99. It was Ben Folds Five, hmm. unauthorized biographies of Reinhold Messner. Uh, oh, that song blew my mind, or that uh, album blew my mind when I heard it. It's it's just phenomenal. Uh, Army still gets played. Um, and, uh, narcolepsy. <sighs> It's brilliant. It is funny and uh, uh, not a huge fan of Ben Folds, but if you listen to one of our previous podcasts long ago, yeah, this, you already know. I've uh, discussed a concert. My first concert experience was the Foo Fighters, and the opening act before them was um, Ben Folds Five. And the opening act to that was actually a band who released an album in 1999, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Rocket from the Crypt. <laughs> Pretty awful band. <laughs> uh, let's see, Lincoln Park. You're talking about a minute ago. They had a '99. They had Hybrid Theory came out in '99. Uh, that was super solid. Uh, overplayed, you know. But mm-hmm. you know, what can you do? Um, see, uh, Black Label Society, who I really like. It's not a band that maybe as many people are aware of, but Sequel. if you if you like that kind of um, that kind of um, throwback. 70s rock meets newer rock sound that that band does a fantastic job um the beta band had a album that came out self-titled in 99 in fact that particular uh album gets referenced in one of my favorite movies (laughs) it's one that i've threatened to have you watch that i don't think you've watched uh, high fidelity uh, yeah, we are going to get you to watch that because it's just so funny. Because <clears throat> I've seen enough of it, I'm good. At at the point in the movie, they have a full a store full of people that are going to buy, and he's he's just looking at one of the other employees, and he says, "I'm now going to sell well, some like five copies of the Beta Band." <laughs> he takes the disc and plays the one thing, and everybody immediately starts kind of grooving to it. <laughs> it's like, "Who's this? It's the Beta Band. It's great." Yeah, I know. <laughs> just. It's it's so funny. Except it's Jack Cusack. So. Which means it's fantastic. Yeah. But Jack Black's in there, right? Yes, he is. Um, Muse had a, an album in 99, so that was solid. Uh, who else was... Oh, Incubus. That's true. They did have one in that album. They had Make Yourself. That one was an amazing album. And, really well done. And that has some that had some uh, air, airplay love to it. Yes, it did. That that's what got me to love that uh, that band, and I, I've I've not heard a bad CD from them, which is awesome. Now there was another band, and I don't know if you listen to them very much, but they had an album in 1999 that did get some radio play. Pod. Yes, yes, I I saw that. Pod is kind of a love hate for me. I, I love what they try and do. Um, let's see what they have. Fundamental elements of South, South Down. Yes, it was okay. I liked it. Had a little. It, it was different, yeah. right? I think that's probably why I liked it is because it had that hard rock metal aspect to it. But some his vocals were okay. Fun, not funk, hip hop, but not you know like yeah. non traditional in terms of what your metal and rock was, but it. It it fit the transition era. I, I felt I felt like. Well, my big thing. So the thing that I talk about love or hate the the actual band itself. I was good. The vocals when you listen to it, it's like ah, he's got this kind of 
vocal quality when you hear it the first time it's like oh yeah okay i see how that blends with the music but then as i would listen to it it's like that's really fake sounding <laughs> it's like all that or dis- distant maybe yeah. is um i see what you're saying on that where it's just like it's where if you're talking to the microphone but you're like away from the microphone and it like it has right. that kind of sound to exactly. it. Exactly. And that that started to grate on my nerves. Plus, if you wanted to buy that album, let's say at a Circuit City at that time frame, <laughs> you had to go to the Christian music section in order to buy that. I wasn't going to get into that particular side of things. But I, I know part of the struggles with, in terms of popularity, when you are labeled as the uh, Christian music band, even though you're actually not, um, it does impact sales a oh, yeah. bit because of um, people's opinions, basically, we could say. Um, but I, I know what I want to look for it at Circuit City, like I said. And I was like, where is it? And the guy's like, oh, well, you want to go? Because like, he had had other sure. people ask the same thing. And there's there's very real reasons that people have those opinions, especially if you're people of our age. Because generally, if you saw Christian rock or Christian whatever, you might as well just swap out the word Christian for awful. <clears throat> it was just terrible versions of whatever music with, with very, very few exceptions. They were almost all un- just terrible and as soon as they started getting better what they do crossed over to pop because they actually wanted to make some money and have some fans and so i mean you just didn't get it now nowadays it's not quite the same there's a, a much higher level of quality i think that that has that you can see on and that side of more things. demand for it exactly too uh, now there was another band that was in that same scenario that released an album in 1999 yeah i'm sure go ahead you want to say it? No. Hey, I, I okay. I've we discussed this briefly. Uh, so Creed had an album, and uh, was their debut was it? Was it? Human, I believe so. Yeah. Human Clay was that what it was? Yes. It okay. Is. So they had that Can same. Can you take me higher? Perception, yeah, right? Yeah. But I'm telling you guys right now, who grew up listening to music in the '90s and widely panned them. Go listen to... You don't have to listen to the albums. Just go listen to the Greatest Hits album. I love Creed. And, like, you know all the words to all those songs. They all stick with you. They're all catchy. And it's just... The music is really good. Now it's... Yeah. It's... It's a little preachy. Um, it, yeah, and, and, and the music is very safe oh yeah let's call it right it's very abc music Mm -hmm. it's not like you're not going crazy with certain things you're not taking it easy it's very laid out precise music that is you know just good but of course without creed we would never get one of my favorite bands and that being alter bridge yes and uh i really liked creed but i love alter bridge one of my favorite bands of all time and Scott's Stapp, right, from yeah. Creed, is the reason that Alter Bridge actually exists because of his his troubles that he had uh, going through lots of different things after they made lots of monies for this. That can happen. This, and there was a couple other albums subsequent to this um, that just blew the roof off of any expectations. Yeah. And this album was very, made very, like, on the cheap. Basically, oh, yeah. and they made a lot of money off of this. Um, but one other band that was that is a heavy metal kind of band and is still making music today had had the uh, an album in '99 that came out that I heard that got me into them and actually is my favorite band. Uh, not, not just one of this is the band that I still have yet to see them perform. But Seven Dust, Seven Dust had. Uh, I remember seeing that in the my, my research. Home came out in 99, and as much as we might harp on how much we dislike MTV, and I'm I'm in that boat as well, not a particular fan of the old programming, and I thought, well, man, not much could be worse than that, and then I've seen their new programming. Yeah, this is worse. Go back to the old programming. I will hate you less. Um, but it's that album was so raw and just fantastic rumblefish uh still just kind of an awesome waffle great song i mean the guy can the guy can do the kind of screamy yelly but he can also 
they got two guys on the band that have fantastic vocals and they can get some harmonies going that are amazing it's that is that is by far my my favorite band well mtv did give us one thing that i thoroughly enjoy which is beavis and butthead oh yeah now beavis and butthead had all those musical interludes Mm -hmm. and if it wasn't for beavis and butthead um we wouldn't have arguably the best band in the universe i would argue against that and that is uh guar um they do they they too had an album released in 1999 now it's not it's not one of their more favorite albums, let's let's say. Um, one of their least favorite albums was released in 1999. So, um, by, by them or by listeners? Um, by their standards. Ah, gotcha. So yes. the ones previous to it were their were the ones that you could call, let's say, like starting in I want to say 88 and building through the 90s were the ones that were their. They're powerhouses, but uh, the one in '99, um, I like them all personally. But uh, that's maybe that's just me, considering they're the best in the universe. I think that's just you. But um, yes, the one in '99, uh, "We Kill Everything," was not one of their favorites. I like it though. Now we we've kind of completely neglected R&B for the most part. Mm-hmm. Now Dre and Snoop both released albums in 1999. Neither of those albums were amazing. <laughs> they, they were they're good, but I mean the the stuff that people remember them for were before ninety nine. Before that, yes, and after ninety nine. <laughs> well, um, I, I although I will say you know, uh, two thousand and one. I like that album. There's a lot of good oh, like music it. on there. There's a lot of good other artists that are on there. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I think one we we know of uh, who also, if I'm not mistaken, released. His album in 1999. Which one? Eminem? Uh, second, yes. His is second, okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you weren't familiar with him, he had multiple, you know, guest appearances, let's call oh, it, yeah. on 2001, in addition to Snoop and Exhibit and all these other people. And you, that's not your classic Dre no. album. He's really had good, two, right, um, that we listen to and have or, or collect. It's just basically two and this is the second one well and and that's the thing the first uh album that he released was again one of those instances where it's so good and every track for the most part not counting skits the skits were funny but just the songs were so good when you release an album where you don't get every track that's that good then it's just like so the stuff that he had eminem on it's it's forgot about dre on 2001 am i remembering that right yeah Mm. so that song there that was fantastic i love that song and there were a couple other gems on there like that but i don't kind of groove to the entire album in the same way You, you don't get that same impact same thing with snoop's album in 99 um you know, he he releases a lot of albums. Yeah, let's see uh what was Snoop? I'm trying to remember uh No Limit Top Dog. Exactly. Yeah, it's hard to remember sometimes. Um so yeah, so Eminem's album, however, hit like number one on Billboard when it was released because it just sold just a ton. It stayed on the top two hundred for a hundred weeks. It was popular. It was really popular. Now, I don't own a single Eminem album or listen to him whatsoever. And even when he pops up on different songs, I'm okay. But, like, it's it's not anything that pushes my buttons, let's yeah. say. Like, I don't... He doesn't annoy me, I guess, but I don't yeah, enjoy we'll listening to him. Well, what about Lauren Hill? Didn't uh, Miss Education to Lauren Hill come out in 99? She won five Grammys that year for it. I just can't remember if it was 99 or 98 that it came out. Mm, you're in the time frame here. Lauren Hill. And that was basically her, that was her shining moment, basically. Oh, yeah. And that that album was fantastic. One Another one from front to back is just phenomenal. Um, two of the greatest rappers of a generation both released 
albums in 99. Jay-Z, My Lifetime, Volume 3, came out. Uh, Nas released two albums mm. in 99. Lauren Hill was 98, by the way. 98. That's what I thought I remembered, but uh, I remembered she won the Grammys in 99. In 99, yeah. And that's what we talked about. Like A lot of the things when it comes to playtime ends up being a year later. Yeah. Uh, Buster Rhymes was kind of the same way. He released a 98 album that played in 99. Was that Genesis? I believe so. That was a good album. That was a really good album. Um, but his compatriot, uh, who I consider to be, at least up until recently, uh, and I still probably think so, just just from a pure skill standpoint, the best female rapper, uh, Rod Digga, had her album, uh, Dirty Harriet, come out in 99. I love that album. That's one of the ones I got from the Columbia Music House. Ooh. Were we still, was that still a thing in the late 90s? Sure was. Uh, Foxy Brown, China Doll came out in 99. Uh, Take You to the Hot Spot. That one got a lot of play. Um, see, Jamiroquai Synchronized came out in 99. That's true. Which is a really, really good really album. Good one. Eight Ball and MJG mm-hmm. in Our Lifetime. Uh, Gangstar had one come out in 99, which was solid. Ludacris had one in 99. That came out, uh, had the um, What's Your Fantasy song. Yes. In it. He had a real good stretch in there yep. albums. Mary J. Blige had Mary come out in 99. Method Man Red Man had a disc came out in 99. <laughs> was, that to, was that the tie-in with their movie? Uh, Blackout is what it was called. Okay. I don't remember I don't remember about when, the movie. When How High came out. You remember yeah. that movie? I did not see that movie. They went to school. Oh, I remember seeing ads for the movie, but I never actually watched it. <laughs> I mean, it's... Now, talking about two of the two that considered to be the best rappers had the, their albums come out in 99, but two of the kind of hidden gems that I considered to be as good, if not better, than both Jay-Z and Nas uh, worked together. It's under one of their names, but, you know, kind of worked together to have it. Most Def. Had an album came out in '99, and uh, Talib Kweli uh, was uh, instrumental in, in that. It's like so good. Yeah, <laughs> like we mentioned so before, good. don't forget DMX. You know, talking about ly- lyricists. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, I would, oh, I would, oh. I would prefer to listen to the posthumous Biggie Smalls album that came out in '99 over a DMX. There was a couple of them, wasn't there? A uh, there's a Tupac. There's one a Tupac one also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it, it that was just a crazy, crazy year for music. Yes, but there are a few albums that I think are some of my favorites that we have not mentioned yet. Yeah, I intentionally avoided them for two reasons. One, I knew that you wanted to talk about them, and two, they are almost universally terrible. So go ahead. <laughs> I attacked full force. What? So I, I have. Um, so Rage Against Machine did three albums. That one I just left because I know you wanted to talk about it. So the Battle of Los Angeles, I think, amazing. Is re- all of their albums you can listen to? We talked about it before, like a trifecta of albums. Oh, yeah. You get it. Like so, this one is the third one, and then. They were gone. Like yeah. that was it. So talk about your some of your favorite bands just kind of going out on top, going out on top or falling to bits. Like you, you listened to them through the '90s, and then this came out, and then they were done. Um, apparently, they're going to get back together here soon for a couple, couple concerts, which I thought was really cool. But uh, anyway, this one just has obviously a little bit different sound from their first two but a lot of the same sounds from the first two so you got what you're used to and a little bit more um and there's i feel like maybe it's just me and i mentioned this before a lot of times on the albums songs nine and ten just happen to be really good and my favorites on this one are nine and ten also yeah so um yeah. that that's that one uh corn we mentioned yep. the concert they had a, issues is what came out in, in this year um now a, a top secret band that is one of my favorites um top secret read nobody listened to them uh no that's not true <laughs> Um, Static X had their first album released in 1999, Wisconsin Death Trip. And this song, all the album, like, this is like heavy metal, 
with some awful uh, distortion and like like that like that electronic distortion on Ugh. everything and like the real fast almost like drum machine drums but Ugh. not it's so good Ugh. Wayne Static apparently was um Oh, gosh. He was the roommate of a person who was in a band that I don't like. Um, yeah, there you go. That's my story. That's good. Uh, but, no, they did a lot of albums after that. Wayne Static isn't alive anymore. Uh, but they're back on tour now with a yeah. dude who throws a mask on his head and plays and sounds very, very similar to what Wayne Static sounds yeah. like. So uh, I thought that was actually real cool to see some of those pop up on YouTube. They had a big, big fan base. But they very loyal. They had um, uh, a song. It was uh, "Push It," and dun, it, dun, 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 no, no, not okay. quite. Um, there was a going back to our MTV stuff. So when you don't sleep and you're up at three o'clock in the morning, they do random lists sometimes. And one of them was an ABCs of top um, heavy metal songs, hard rock songs. And P came up, and this was the song. I was like, I've never heard that song before. I'm intrigued. And then I went and bought the album, and it's awesome. And then the last one is from arguably one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, there was a Primus album that mm -hmm. was released in 1999, Antipop. I didn't know that one as well. I like Primus, but it's like, okay, so I'm trying to remember. No, it's not the one with uh, Winona on it. It's not... The one I'm trying to remember all the songs by their by them that I really like. It's like none of them are on this CD, so I know I've heard it. No, and but. one of the things about this one is is not necessarily all of the songs per se. It's all of the guest artists that were on here. Ah, um, right. There were. I think the song you know them you would know the most is Lacquerhead and it's kind of it's actually real heavy real grungy sounding mm -hmm. a lot of the songs that are on this album are like that before they've had kind of the funky oh, yeah. quirky their own type of music and these were more rock and metal focused not entirely but I'm, I'm generalizing of course sure. but they had a lot of a lot of guests appear. So, um, uh, uh, the yeah, Stuart Copeland was on here, did some production. Right. Um, Matt Stone was on here. James Hetfield, Tom Waits. Uh, there's a couple other people that did like bits and oh, pieces yeah. of production or playing time. Tom Waits had an album came out in '992. So it's. Is it my favorite Primus album? No, but I will tell you, it is definitely not my least favorite. Well, I was going to say even even their lower end. That's not the good way to put it. Even ones that are not as popular are still pretty good. Yeah. Now, w w same thing. You know, once you got to this album for them, they kind of they're they're still together and they still tour. Uh, they were just on tour with Slayer, actually. <laughs> strangely <laughs> enough, uh, this past uh, fall. So or I guess we're in fall right now, but fall late summer they were on tour with Slayer, which is an interesting combination. Yeah. And um. Also in that, they played with the, the Philip Anselmo band. I forget what it's called. Philip Anselmo and something else. And mm -hmm. they're playing a, a, a bunch of um, Pantera songs. So, like, they're still out there. But this kind of, after this, they went on tour and then they went their own separate ways and Les did a whole bunch of collaborations. Oysterhead was soon after this. He did a lot of solo albums. Uh, so this was kind of almost the hiatus point for them in yeah. in this album right here. Well, obviously, we had a great love of this year of music just from all of everything that we've shared with you. You can clearly see that. But uh, what about you? Did we miss anything interesting? You should probably tell us. Contact us on our forums on the website, www.everybodylovespudding.com. Or even better, and for a quicker response, tweet us, Real Pudding Guys. 
we are very easily attainable in terms of uh, responses. We're also on Facebook and Instagram uh, at Pudding Guys, yeah. right? You can message us on Instagram too. Absolutely. It works. And we are also on Patreon for just a dollar per month. You can help support us as we acquire the funds to be able to chase after more interesting and cool people to talk to, better equipments that will not fritz out on us, uh, chairs that will not squeak quite so much. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> any any little bit that will just make the show a little bit better a small price to pay for a quality radio that's not even on the radio could be on your radio i have air quotes up you that's can see right. them. air quotes and we're also going to start with uh just little snippets we're going to do shorter versions of this to put up on youtube so that you can get kind of a general idea of what the episode is and then even see if uh, this is going to be something that you want to listen to afterwards but until next time, keep rocking the tunes and come back to the pudding, guys. Mm-hmm.